0: Good morning and welcome. Happy Father's Day to all you dads and granddads in the room. So not only am I excited because it's Father's Day, but also it's actually my anniversary today. So me and my wife Olivia are celebrating six years of marriage. So I'm really excited about that. So if there's anybody else who's celebrating an anniversary today, June 21st, uh, congratulations, happy anniversary to you too. And I'm also uh, grateful because I had to kind of preach today because Pastor Chris called me up and said, my new tattoo is actually healing, and so I need you to kind of take my spot, so I, no, that's not true. No tattoos, okay. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We are in our Acts series. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, finishing out the chapter today. Acts chapter 8, if you have it on your phone or you have your Bible with you, I'm going to start reading in verse 26. Verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Immediately, in our first verse and a half, we already have life application that we can apply to our life from God's word. So here we have Philip, this ordinary guy, an ordinary guy in the church who is willing to be used by God. Philip is a guy who is willing, he's available, and he's obedient. So here's how we know Philip is willing, available, and obedient. He's willing because we saw last week in chapter 8, he goes to the Samaritans, this hostile you know, group of people that the Jews don't like, and he preaches the gospel to them and with great success and tons of people come to know Jesus from the Samaritans. And then in our chapter, or in our passage, excuse me, God tells him just a simple phrase through this angel, rise and go toward this desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Luke commentates and says this is a desert place. This is the middle of nowhere. And what does Philip do? He, the text says he rose and went. He doesn't know who he's gonna meet, he doesn't know what he's gonna do, but he's willing to be used by God and he goes. And we also see that Philip's available, and you might be thinking to yourself, availability, And willingness—I feel like those are kind of the same thing. What's the difference between those? Well, you can't really be willing for God. You can't be willing to do anything for God if you're not willing to be available for God. And so, this wasn't a a point of convenience for Philip. Like, oh yeah, God, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza—that's on my way home. I'll just go. I'll just stop by there on my way home. Thanks, God, for making my life convenient. No, that's not how it is. He probably had to walk. 40 to 70 miles, maybe, on foot to where he was going. Philip is available as well. And then lastly, we see Philip is obedient. So when God's call comes to him through the angel, he doesn't freeze up, he doesn't shrug it off. One commentary uh, said, they kind of made this comparison between the Old Testament prophet Jonah and Philip. So Jonah in the Old Testament, if you've grown up in church, you know that story. God calls him to go preach repentance to the the Ninevites so that they'll turn to God, and what's he do? Right, he he flips and he goes in the opposite direction. He runs away from God. But Philip here in the New Testament, he's just ready and eager to go where God wants him to go. He's ready and he's filled with the Spirit, and he just goes. So Philip is an example to us as somebody who's willing, available, and obedient. I know today in this room, we might be thinking to ourselves, okay, do I really wanna be willing, available and obedient to do anything God wants me to do. That sounds like that sounds kind of like a scary prayer. I feel kind of safe and comfortable where I'm at right now. But here's what I want to encourage us with. So, Corey ten Boom, the Dutch believer who hid Nazi excuse me, hid Jews in her house from the Nazis in World War II. She got captured and thrown into a Nazi concentration camp. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And Corrie ten Boom has this amazing quote about God's will and for our life. She says, the safest place to be is at the center of God's will. The safest place to be is at the center of God's will. And so when we think to ourselves, you know, I don't really know if I, if I really tr- want to do exactly what God wants me to do, because that sounds intimidating, it's the best place to be, all right. So if, if whatever God wants from our, us in our life, from mundane things in day-to-day life to life-changing things, like what if he wants me to change a career? What if he wants me to move neighborhoods? What if he wants me to adopt? What if he wants me to do cross-cultural ministry and go overseas to be a light for Jesus? The best place to be is at the center of God's will. Amen? Amen? You can learn that from Corey ten Boom and from Philip. He knew that. Now, let's keep reading. Luke gives us some background information about who Philip is about to meet. Let's look in our Bibles, the rest of verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. All right, so more than likely, this is a black man from the continent of Africa who is a high official the text says, under the queen of the Ethiopians, who's returning back from Jerusalem on this religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So, who is this guy? Right, who, who, who really is this guy? This kind of sounds confusing. Why is there this guy from Africa returning back from Jerusalem right here? More than likely, this is a Jewish proselyte and all that is, is a Gentile convert to Judaism. So somebody who said, who's a foreigner that said, I want to follow the God of the Hebrews, I'm going to follow God's laws, and I'm going to worship like God's people. That's probably who this guy is, coming back from a religious pilgrimage from Jerusalem back to his home country, Ethiopia, which probably would have been like modern day Sudan now, this would have been ancient Ethiopia. So this is a long journey that this guy's traveling back. And this is who Philip is about to meet. So the Spirit directs Philip with these words, end of verse 29. Go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. What an opportunity. Philip sees this chariot, and the Spirit just says, Go chase it down. And then there's this guy in the uh, chariot reading scripture out loud. And Philip simply asks him in verse 30, he says, Do you understand what you're reading? All right, so picture him running beside this chariot. Hey, do you understand what you're reading? That probably would have maybe been a weird encounter, right? I don't know if the Ethiopian eunuch would have been ready for that. Some guy running beside him in the desert. Hey, you know what you're reading? <laughs> but that's what he says. He just asks a question. And then the, the eunuch responds and says, and you can almost hear his frustration here. How can I, unless someone guides me, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody guides me? And then he proceeds to invite Philip up into his chariot with him. All right, what a softball that God throws Philip right here, okay? It's such a softball, he just lobs it out to him. We've got Philip, God tells him to go to the middle of nowhere in this desert place. There's a lonely chariot, he says, go chase down the chariot. He walks up, and or he runs up and just says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy in the chariot is reading the prophet Isaiah, and all he says is, no, I don't understand, how about you come join me and tell me about it, right? Can it get any better than that? All right, so... Sometimes we think to ourselves, man, like Philip must be this fantastic character in the Bible. And of course he's this faithful guy, but do you realize here, God is the one doing the heavy lifting in the book of Acts. God is the one setting Philip up. This is not something Philip's striving for. All he does is go to the spot where God tells him, and then he says, the Spirit says, go go to the chariot, and he asks a question, and he gets invited up into the chariot so that he can explain what this is all about. This is incredible. God totally throws Philip a softball. Follow along with me as we read verses 32 and 33. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth." Now, what passage is this? Luke tells us it's Isaiah. We know it's Isaiah, but there was a chapter and verse at this time. But what do we know this passage as? What's this particular chapter of Isaiah to us? Isaiah 53. It's Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. <laughs> Isaiah 53 is the Jesus passage of the Old Testament. And the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch just happens to be reading, he could have been reading anything in the Old Testament and Philip could have teed it up so that he could have transitioned it to Jesus. But he's reading Isaiah 53. Of all places, there could not be a better place for this man to be. just happen to be reading at the time Philip walks up for Philip to be able to explain the gospel and connect it to Jesus. Is this a coincidence? No, this is a divine appointment set up by God for Philip. And by the time Philip and the Ethiopian have this encounter, more than likely this was two to four years after Pentecost. So after the Holy Spirit come down upon the apostles and the disciples, Philip gives his great sermon, thousands come to know Jesus for the first time. This is probably two to four years after Pentecost. And here's why this is important. More than likely, the Ethiopian eunuch would have heard about Jesus. He would have heard about Jesus probably. And when I say that, I don't mean somebody had shared the gospel with him yet, but if he had spent any time in Jerusalem or Israel in the last couple of years, he would have heard about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, this great prophet who did many miracles and the people followed, or maybe more of a negative uh, kind of tone, you know, or, or take this false prophet from Nazareth that deceived the people, he would have heard about the man, Jesus, who died a criminal's death on the cross. But here's the thing. This is what's so important. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus' as his personal Lord and Savior. And here's how we know this. Verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? He has no clue who this scripture is about. He doesn't know, he's, he's wondering, he's questioning. He's like, is this about, the, is the prophet writing this about himself or somebody else? Sometimes the prophets are hard to read. All right, that's a true statement in itself. He didn't know, but God had him on this journey. He was searching and God was drawing him to himself. And that's what we have to remember is that God had this thing set up for Philip. And then verse 35 says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. (laughs) Sorry if I spit on anybody. It's a softball, and Philip knocks it out of the park. He's ready to hit it. So Philip isn't only willing, available, and obedient to go where God wants him to go. When there's this gospel opportunity in front of him he's ready to swing across the strike zone and hit this thing. And that's exactly what he does. He tells him the good news about Jesus. Isn't that such a simple way of putting it? The good news about Jesus. Can it get any more simple than that? The good news about Jesus. That's what he tells him. That's what our text is. That's how Luke writes it. But my question for us today is, if someone asked us, if, they, if, they, if a child or a grandchild or a coworker or a neighbor or a stranger, if they said, what's the good news about Jesus, could we tell them? If God threw us a softball, would we be able to hit it? Would we be able to articulate the gospel clearly to them? And so, typically, I would say homework until the very end, like go do this this week, but this, we've got to take the opportunity right now to look at a few things, and I want us as a church body to hone our skills in sharing our faith with other people that don't know Jesus yet. So every suggestion I'm going to give you is taken directly from Christian author and apologist William Lane Craig. He has a website called Re- uh, Reasonable Faith. A lot of you have probably heard of uh, Dr. Craig. So he says this. First thing, memorize a gospel presentation. Black screen, that's okay. Memorize a gospel presentation. So the first thing, Figure out a gospel presentation for spiritual laws. There's this, thanks. For spiritual laws. Romans Road. Um, There's an Equip You class called Two Ways to Live that's a tool to share the gospel with others. Greg Gilbert has this book called What is the Gospel? That's a great resource as well. What's a a way I could share the gospel to walk somebody through the fundamental truths of the gospel and then lead them to a point of a decision, really, where you just say, do you wanna follow Jesus as the Lord of your life or not? Okay, that's the first thing, memorize the gospel presentation. And this doesn't have to be super long. This thing can be short. Secondly, a three-minute testimony. So your three-minute testimony, write out your testimony, shrink it down to three minutes so that you can tell it to somebody pretty quickly. Here's here's what my life looked like before Christ. Here's how I came to know Christ, how he drew me to himself. And this this is what my life looks like now, how he keeps showing his faithfulness to me. And I just wanted to tell you that because this has been a game changer for me. This is this is my life. A three-minute testimony. And then lastly, he says some defenses for Christianity. So all that is is, and you can look on his website if you want to, reasonable faith, but just some arguments for the existence of God or the reliability of the Bible or the New Testament. And so this is important, not as important as the first two, but this is important because so often non-believers have. You know, they just have these stumbling blocks in their way of maybe, you know, uh, some bad articles they've read online or or a video or a college professor that said, God's not real and the Bible's not accurate and it was changed by kings a bunch of times and blah, blah, blah. And none of that's true, okay? And if we just have a few arguments to explain to people, God is the best reason for why everything is the way it is. And actually, the New Testament is the most accurate and reliable ancient text of all time. And we can prove that. Like We're not, like, this isn't a guessing thing. It's so accurate that the manuscripts that we have, that Jesus was a real man who really lived, he really died, he really rose again from the grave, and his followers have been telling the world about it ever since. A few defenses for Christianity. And here's what I've discovered in my own life. Whenever I try to hone my skills in outreach and evangelism towards others, it, God always uses it to take me deeper into the gospel myself. So it's a win-win. So when, when we go to uh, to look into the gospel, how can, I, how can I think of a gospel presentation to share with somebody, and how should I craft my testimony? God's going to take you deeper into the gospel yourself. That's the goal, that you'll come out of that thinking, I am loved by God. I have not earned this thing. God is measured up for me. I am trusting in the finished work of Jesus. And then when you go to share your faith with somebody else, it's not one of these things where you're like... I've got this presentation and I hope I say it right. I hope God's pleased with me. You know, he's not mad at me for saying it wrong. We don't, want it, we don't want it to be like that. We want it to be out of an overflow of our own personal relationship with Jesus. When we meet somebody and God tees us up with a softball, it's like, how could I not share this? How could I not, out of the overflow of my heart, share with this person what Jesus has done in my life and what he's doing in the world? Amen? Amen. My senior pastor in Kentucky, he used to say this saying, And I love this, kind of as we conclude this part, he used to say, there's only one thing that you can take with you to heaven, and that's other people. Isn't that great? There's only one thing we could take with us to heaven, and that's other people. People that come to know Jesus through our church, through our witness, through our family. They come to have saving faith in Jesus themselves. All right, now we're ready to read our last few verses of our passage. What was the final outcome here? Verses 36 through 40. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. We know that the eunuch responds in faith to the gospel and he experiences new life. We know that from our passage right here. But when we say that the gospel brings new life, the gospel brings new life to someone. What do we mean by that? How do we know that's true? And we don't want to look any farther than our text right here. So what happened in life of the Ethiopian eunuch? so in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, he has a newly found purpose and clarity. He has a brand new purpose and clarity to life. The fog has been lifted. He's not wondering what this scripture is about anymore. Philip explains to him, this scripture is about Jesus and everything is about Jesus. And if you've got him, you've got it all. The fog has been lifted. He has a brand new purpose and clarity. And then secondly, he experiences permanent change. And the reason we know this is because he immediately wants to get baptized. He says, what's preventing me from getting baptized? Stop the chariot. This wasn't Philip kind of pulling teeth here like, you know, you should probably get baptized now that you've placed your faith in Jesus. No, it's the eunuch saying, I want to be baptized. And baptism is this sign, this outward sign of the inward reality that's already taken place, that my old life is dead. My sins are dead and buried with Jesus, and I have a brand new life in Jesus. I'm raised to new life with him. And that's exactly what happens in this passage. Isn't that incredible? Permanent change has taken place in the life of the Ethiopian eunuch. And then lastly, he has this permeating joy. He has permeating joy. It says he rode away rejoicing. He rode away rejoicing. And why is he rejoicing? It's because he has been adopted into the family of God. He has the Holy Spirit of God living inside of him now. That is a reason to rejoice. Everything is different for him. And what's also interesting... And amazing is God has other work for Philip to do. So God carries Philip off to continue on in ministry. And the Ethiopian eunuch is returning to his home rejoicing. And the continent of Africa is about ready to receive their very first missionary right here in the Ethiopian eunuch. Isn't that incredible how God works? I've got Philip on another mission with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's going to return and he's going to be a light to the continent of Africa. You know, as we get ready to finish up, I believe there's something extremely important that we cannot miss here with this story. We cannot miss this. Think about this with me. The Ethiopian eunuch, he already feared God. He already believed in God's existence. He was already religious and trying to be righteous on his own. He was a convert to Judaism. The Ethiopian eunuch, he already went to a place of worship. He's coming back from Jerusalem And he even read the scriptures. He's reading Isaiah. So if all those things are true, what did the Ethiopian eunuch hear that day from Philip that was different than everything he'd already been doing? He was already a man who believed in God's existence and feared him and went to a place of worship and was trying to be religious on his own and read the scriptures. What did Philip tell him that he didn't have before this? You see, there was a hole in his gospel. And that was Jesus. He found out that day that Jesus is the center of all of this. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You can have all those other things. You can believe God exists. You can try to be religious on your own. You can read scripture. You can go to church. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have salvation. And the Ethiopian eunuch didn't have salvation until Philip brought him Jesus, the message of Jesus. He told him the good news about Jesus. So I believe that God is sovereign and he is good. And today, God has a divine appointment set up for me for some of you in this room. And that message is, believing in God's existence will not save you. And trying to be religious and righteous on your own will not save you. And attending church and going to a place of worship will not save you, In having Bible knowledge and doing Bible studies will not save you. If you are trusting in any of that stuff to make you right in God's eyes, you're trusting in the wrong stuff. The only thing that can make you right in God's eyes is by trusting in Jesus alone. What I can never do for myself, Jesus has done for me. He's lived the life I couldn't live. He's died the death that I deserve, and now there's nothing that can separate me from having a perfect friendship with my Father in heaven. Amen? That's the gospel. That's what God wants us to be sharing with people. So today, if you've been trusting in any of that other stuff, come before God in your own words and just tell him, God, I've been missing you in this thing. I've been either thinking that my good merits and I've been trying to earn this with you or I thought I had to do all that stuff before I would be right in your eyes. If you're in either of those camps and you don't really know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, come to Jesus today and just tell him, God, I have not measured up. Here's everything that I've done wrong. God, forgive me, and I need you. Jesus, I need you. If you say that today, that's, that's experiencing the free gift of eternal life. This is a free gift, but you have to humble yourself and lay your life down. Just like Pastor Chris talked about last week, life comes through death. You have to lay your life down in order for Jesus to raise you back up. That's what you have to do. But if you do, you'll have eternal life forever. And if you pray that today in your own words, you will have the exact same experience that the Ethiopian eunuch had. You'll experience the exact same thing in your life. You will have... A brand new purpose and clarity, you will experience perp- excuse me, permanent change that can never be revoked, and you will have permeating joy that comes from the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. Would you pray with me?